Hey everybody, this is RJ O'Connell from the Motorsport 101 podcast. Um, I know everybody has been waiting for me to do an intro, um, so I just wanted to say, there I am, I made it. We love you too, Ryan, thanks for the shout out. <laughs> Welcome to Motorsport 101. Not all of us could be blessed enough to be on YouTube reviews of the 2018 Indianapolis 500, and yet we are all still here regardless. <laughs> oh, I, I assume uh, everyone's going to realize real quick that Dre isn't here. Uh, I assume he's away plot- plotting my downfall. Yes. Um, filling in for an absent friendly neighborhood Andre Harrison, uh... On this 156th episode of Motorsport 101, there is only one Robert Wickens uh, recording the night of August 20th, 2018 uh, from Chattanooga, Tennessee, the American base, the, the second American base of Motorsport 101. I am your other friendly neighborhood co-host, RJ O'Connell, um, joined as always from the Bronx in New York by Ryan Eric King. I'm sorry, that is uh, YouTube intro personality right <laughs> though uh nothing against chris or anything but it was the role was technically uncredited i was not in the credits just like paul page and driven <laughs> I, I don't think he wanted to be in the credits oh no 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 that that movie was so yo you gotta understand that Driven was so cursed that it might have took down an entire professional automobile racing <laughs> series, and it cursed John Lacey's IndyCar return a decade after the fact. Oh my god. John Lacey was in that movie, yeah, he and was. then he debuted in IndyCar a decade later in one of the most infamously terrible performances ever. Ooh. By the way, we also have... Uh, Filling in on the seat normally occupied by Andre Harrison from the Motorsports Tribune from the great state of Indiana. Uh, that would be Christopher Hardy, who is back from Pocono. Talk about the ABC Supply 500 at Pocono Raceway. Hello, Chris. I'm still a little bit tired. Uh, for those who don't know, I actually ended up driving from Noblesville, Indiana to Pocono overnight Friday night. And then I drove from Pocono back to Noblesville, Indiana overnight sunday night and uh that's 636 miles each way and yeah that was definitely a, a bit of a haul you, you have done about uh you've done a you've done like an entire endurance race all by yourself you've you've probably exceeded the maximum drive time limit and for that we're probably gonna have to penalize you a couple laps chris Ah, hell. Well, it looks like you're going to have to penalize me further because uh, Friday morning I'm heading out to Gateway, so at least thankfully that's only a four-hour drive. Yes, for for the Bomberito Automotive Group 500, presented by the 101st lap, presented by Motorsport (laughs) 101. That's kicking off. Oh, my God, yes. That's kicking off this coming week. Um, We have a busy show to talk about. Um, not only the the race that happened, but of course, obviously, um, covering you know Robert Wickens' horrific crash near the start of the ABC Supply 500. Um, updates on his condition, 
um, and just some general reactions from from that accident and from the rest of the race where Alexander Rossi, you know, as they say, wherever Alexander Rossi is winning a 500-mile race in IndyCar, Sarah Connors and Krista Hardy are there. I don't know how this all works, but we'll get to that. And also, Formula One is back for the Belgian Grand Prix. So we're going to look at all the latest news, uh, previewing that race, uh, and some big driver moves, which were kind of obvious, as we discussed in our last episode, as well as some miscellaneous news from the World Endurance Championship, from IMSA, and the upcoming Suzuka 10 Hours. We might squeeze in a little bit of NASCAR here and there. Who knows? We've got plenty of time on this awesome episode of Motorsport 101. Thank you to everybody who is listening uh, live in our Discord server. If you back us financially on patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, $5 gets you early access to both this show and Bike Live on the Motorsport 101 network, and $10 gives you access to our Discord service, to where you can listen to each so live as it is being recorded. And we have a stack. God, we have five people listening to this all being put together. What in the world? I thank you all so, so much for that, by the way. And I know Dre does too. Dre is not here this week. He will be back next week uh, to talk about the Belgian Grand Prix postmortem. Where hopefully, where hopefully we'll get a good race out of this. Uh, places you can find us, of course, we are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101. Our Twitter handle is at motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to follow us personally, you can follow us at Harris 101 HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at C DeHardy. That's C D E H A R D E. And of course, um, congratulations to our winner. Of our big F1 2018 giveaway that we've been having this week, uh, which will have concluded by the time you listen to this episode. Um, I definitely hope that everybody is enjoying F1 2018. I know a lot of our friends have, friends of the show, um, who've gotten a chance to play it early. Not saying I'm jealous or anything. I'm yeah, a little, little jealous, a little jealous in my, in my corner. <laughs> I put out a straw poll um, asking which non-Big 3 driver I wanted to do like a season mode as, and it seems like unanimous. Everybody wants me to be Brendan Hartley. <laughs> King, um, are you picking up the challenge back where you left off with Renault? Yeah, I'm probably going to step in the shoes of Carlos Sainz Jr. Mm. Solid, solid choice there. Uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. will be discussed later on in this episode. Um, but let us get to... Uh, the IndyCar series, and let's get to the ABC Supply 500 at Pocono Raceway, a race that will be talked about, though not necessarily for all the right reasons, and we'll get to that after this quick musical interlude. a lot to unpack about this uh this race at Pocono we are this was four races to go in the IndyCar season uh we were looking forward to a great Titanic championship fight uh between main protagonists Scott Ditson, Alexander Rossi, Will Power, Joseph Newgarden um and then all of a sudden and the second corner of the seventh lap of the race uh time kind of stood still for a bit 
and we were all very, very, very worried we had lost somebody. Um, Robert Wickens was involved in a multi-car accident. He was racing side-by-side -side with Ryan Hunter Ray going into turn number two. Um, the two drivers made contact. Uh, Wickens climbed over the back of a Hunter Ray's car, sending him up into his side um, over the over the top of the, uh, the the safer barrier and then into the catch vents with such impact that it caused his car to do multiple rotations and shatter apart upon impact. Uh, this was part of a five-car wreck that involved not only Wickens but also Hunter Ray. It involves James Hinchcliffe and Pietro Fittipaldi, who is in his first oval race since returning from injuries, and it involves Takuma Sato. And I can say in all honesty, thank goodness that, you know, this was not much worse than it originally appeared to be because there was a there was a very long portion of time where we were all worried that something I mean this was a very serious wreck um we'll get into the details of it we'll get into what details have been reported what we know for true but there was a point of time where I I honestly it took me back to uh Pocono 2015 the incident where we lost Justin Wilson um, and we were, I think a lot of us were very, very worried. And they made an aftermath. Uh, Chris, you were there. King, uh, you heard about it after the fact. But, jeez, I, I really thought we'd lost him. The, uh, the, probably the most stressful thing was the fact that it took so long to get an update about Wickens' condition. Um, I, I was actually listening to IndyCar Radio on the IndyCar app on my phone um, because I didn't hear anything from anybody else, and I figured, well, let's see what they can see because they have somebody at turn two. And they reported that Wickens was being extracted from the car, and so then I, I tweeted that, and I don't think, I don't know if anybody was listening to the radio network or not, but it absolutely blew up, and I think people were relieved to see or to hear that he had been extracted. Um, they, um, the other thing that I think we should also take a, a second to note is that, you know, James Hinchcliffe involved in this incident was cut by debris. Uh, he refused to speak to the media after the incident out of respect to Robert Wickens. Wickens was there for him in his time of need after the uh, Indianapolis 500 practice crash that he had three years ago. So James wanted to certainly repay the favor uh, now with his one of his best friends, Robert Wickens. Um, we should also note that um, in this incident, Pietro Fittipaldi... You know, he definitely got banged up a little bit, but he had no broken bones. He's gone through a lot this year with his incident that he had at Spa in the Born Endurance Championship uh, situation. Um, Sano, his involvement with the wreck was simple. He got in, in Hunter Ray's oil, and there was nothing he could do at all. Um, and a lot of drivers had various bits of damage from this incident, like Zach Veach, he, his front wing adjuster broke. Um, other guys had flat, you know, possibly punctured tires from this. They had a pit for, uh, you know, new tires and all. It just was not overall a good situation. I guess the only, um, the other good thing we could take away from this is knowing that after the race went back to green, there wasn't a single lap of caution afterwards. I think right. everybody saw what took place. And maybe it's just me, but I a part of me wants to think that these guys were like, okay, you know what, let's take it down just a notch and let's look at a larger picture here. But that's just right, me. Because, 
Yeah, we were looking at this race potentially like, you know, Pocono had the famous seven wide pass down the front stretch that nobody talks about because that again happened in 2015. Other much worse stuff happened later on that afternoon. Um, but you're right. The race did go caution free. I believe Connor Daly was the only driver who crashed out and wasn't sufficient enough to bring out a, uh, a yellow flag. Um, so it was a clean race for the rest of the time. Um, here is the latest update on Robert Wickens. This published uh, Sunday, August 19, 2018. Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports driver Robert Wickens is being treated for injuries to his lower extremities, right arm, and spine following an incident in the ABC Supply 500, 500 Pocono Raceway. He also sustained a pulmonary contusion. He will undergo an MRI and probable surgery at Lehigh Valley Hospital in Cedar Crest. Further updates on his condition will be provided when available. Wickens, by the way, was having um, one of the better rookie seasons in recent IndyCar memory. Of course, started off with that sensational pole position on debut at St. Petersburg, a race that he nearly won were it not for a lap lapse, last lap incident with Alexander Rossi. Um, he has four podiums. He has uh, he has three other top he has three other top five finishes. His best results of the season: second at Phoenix and second at the most recent round prior to this at Mid Ohio, with two thirds of the Indy Grand Prix and at Toronto as home race. Uh, Wickens going into this race was sixth in the standings, and even as it looks as if you know you know academically, for what it's worth, he will miss the final three races of the season. But he has done enough to uh, to pretty much wrap up. IndyCar Rookie of the Year honors in 2018, and you know the hope is, you know his injuries—they're not career-threatening. Thank goodness for that. He looks like he will be able to return and hopefully return um, as strong, if not stronger, than he was through the start of this entire season. He also was Rookie of the Year at the Indianapolis 500, and he had an incident there in a practice, actually the day after qualifying had ended. Um, so Wickens is used to having, I guess you could say, higher speed impacts, but it doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, this year has been a fantastic year for him other than, you know, the situation here. Um, but certainly our thoughts and well wishes are with Robert Wickens, his fiance Carly Woods, and the entire Schmidt-Pearson organization. Um, of course, there is going to be speculation about who's going to take over the seat for the last three races of the year. Um, personally, I don't think I should speculate about that now because the f full attention should be on Robert Wickens' health and recovery um, ahead of these uh, next few months because, frankly, these are human beings. This is a tight-knit community. This is a family, and that's what we should be focused on right now. But Schmidt Peterson Motorsports, I'm confident, will be making an announcement in the next in the next couple of days about who will be taking over that seat for the remainder of the season. There were some drivers in the uh, IndyCar paddock that um, are looking for rides that I did happen to see at Pocono, among them Stephen Wilson and Sage Karam. But then again, that's for the team to announce. That's not for me to speculate on. Absolutely not for not for us to speculate on. We'll More than likely, we will know by the time this episode is out um, that Smith Peter Motorsport, Peterson Motorsport will make a decision on what to do as far as the uh, the number six Lucas Oil Delara Honda. Um out of all that, you know, a couple of a couple of details on the wreck. First, um, for my money's worth, and this has been talked about before, but I wasn't very comfortable with the number of replays that were being shown of the wreck 
not only not only after we learned of Robert Wicken's condition, but also before we knew anything, before we got our first update. It seemed like they they felt it necessary to show the replay at so many different angles. When you know we, we get it, we've seen the wreck. It was a very very bad wreck. It doesn't need to be seen that often in great great detail. Remember, it wasn't long ago where if there was a where there was a possibility where a driver would have lost their life, they did not show a replay of that wreck. Um, yeah, I, w- I agree with you on that front. There were way too many replays for my liking as well. Um, I think the other thing is that we also looking at how long it took for them to get an update out. Um, I don't recall them mentioning on t- how long it took them to mention on TV that he'd even been taken out of the car. Um, it's just a case of let's make sure that we get the right eyes on what's taking place here because, you know, at that point we just don't know anything. Um at least say the fact that they couldn't get a wake and alert out until almost like what an hour after the situation had taken place. It's like, you know, come on guys, let's let's try and make sure we get the get at least something out there that he's at least, you know, awake and alert there. It shouldn't have taken that long. Well you understand and that's uh that is uh what they would call my job place and area of opportunity for NBC as they take over full time broadcasting rights in two thousand nineteen. Won't dwell on that. Uh, one fine de- one fine detail. Thank goodness that the catch fence did its job. Remember, uh, King, this catch fence not too long ago, before the recent renovations to Pocono Raceway that actually made it, you know, suitable for IndyCar racing nowadays. Those were not there, but a handful of years ago. No, because the in over raising the main job of the catch fence is to keep the car on track because usually there are grandstands on the other side of the catch fence, and being Pocono, uh, it's just pretty much forest on the other side. There is no grandstand, so they didn't feel like it was necessary to have catch fencing there. Uh, in a stock car, that's that's okay, but not ideal. In an open cockpit vehicle, that is completely like that is completely insane. You would never race on a on a any venue. Yeah, on any venue where the driver could, you know be subject to being directly hit by a tree right it the way the way the impact look and you can you can seek it out if you want i don't think we'll bring it up in much detail the incident kind of looked like you know wickens predecessor in the same car a couple numbers and a couple years ago robert wickens of fontana in 2014 um might we also remember that charlie kimball got up in the catch fence a couple of years ago uh during uh I believe it was practice or qualifying the catch fencing did its job yes it looks a little rusty it doesn't look the most visually appealing uh but the patch job that they did um didn't didn't look much better um we'll get to that shortly and also it's it's pennsylvania like this is this is ultimate rust belt yeah it's literally it's wet most of the year either it rain or snow there's going to be water, and there's going to be a lot of sun, so it's going to rust. Yeah, but the important thing is is that it did its job. And I think that is also one area of opportunity where, you know, this may be the next thing that, that major automobile racing series that oval tracks need to look at is uh, developing a catch fence that will do its job, but also not... The one thing that I think we need to kind of uh, get a, is like if we can find a way to make these catch fences structurally sound without having these giant support poles that can shatter a car like this upon impact, um, then that will be the next breakthrough. And by the way, as well, if it hasn't been said, it's never said enough um, 
unless something like this happens. But thank goodness, Dallara Automotive builds one of the strongest chassis in auto racing today. Yeah, they um, they've take they've of course taken flack from having uh, cars that have gone airborne, and we we understand that, but. The fact of the matter is that that safety cell held up very, very well given the circumstances, and you know, Wiggins is alive right now, and that's what matters most. Um, had that incident taken place in the '90s, uh, we very well could have seen the chassis split in two. Um, I'm looking at Stan Fox's incident from uh, the '95 Indy 500. Um, but yeah, I wish to thank our lucky stars that uh, Wiggins' survival cell remained intact and did its job ultimately and all the other drivers involved hunter ray um who was of course very lucky because if you saw his the onboard of his incident you'll see that robert wickens car went right over the top of him which perhaps gives a lot of people flashbacks to uh the 2010 indianapolis 500 where mike conway went into the catch fence and his car broke apart and then also flew right over the top of ryan hunter ray which could have been an utter catastrophe, just as this easily could have been. And again, um, thank goodness that everybody involved, um, you know, Hunter Ray, Hinchcliffe, Fittipaldi, um, Sato, they were they were largely okay. Wickens' injuries, again, are not life-threatening or career-threatening, so he will be back to race again. When that is, we don't know. It's not most likely not going to be until 2019, but we are very much ready for Robert Wickens when he is ready to come back into the racing car in that season. I think that's definitely something we're all going to look forward to uh, next year. So, so from all of us at Motorsport 101, uh, Robert please get well soon and uh we cannot wait to see you back on the track <sighs> out of all this um you know we had a two-hour red flag delay to uh to repair the cash fence um which had a very gnarly looking patch job um one that sebastian bourdais was not happy about in fact um somebody even speculated that he was threatening not to run the race to resumption uh, he did, and he had a pretty good day, but not as good as Alexander Rossi had. Um, that was... Whoosh. I tell you what, when uh, when they said that Alexander Rossi had ascended to elite status, we're not kidding. This guy's good. <laughs> this was his third win of the season. He's gone back-to-back after winning at Mid-Ohio, and he dominated the resumption of this race, taking the lead... Uh, he took the lead on lap on lap seven when they restarted the race um, the first time. Which, by the way, um, that Wickens wreck was uh, was certainly bad. It was not the first wreck we had at the start of the race, uh, thanks to some uh, thanks to some drivers going a little bit slower and some checking up. Uh, Spencer Pickett got punted around by Graham Rahal. Rahal eventually went on to continue the race, but uh, Pickett was not so lucky. He got a two-lap penalty for repairing the car under the under yellow flags and then decided to just park it for the day. Uh, funny enough, you mentioned checking up. Um, the Team Penske actually brought out the data from Will's car uh, at the start of the race, and that line was absolutely flat. Uh, he did not uh, change his speed at all. Uh, stayed at 107 miles an hour. And what was really, really um, funny is that they actually brought that up in the post-race press conference, and uh, Dixon ended actually uh, playfully called um, Willpower a certain name that he's called him a, a 
a couple of times before, and everybody uh, got a nice little laugh at that. But yeah, it was uh, it was interesting to see that Team Penske actually brought out their proprietary data to show that hey, Will didn't check up the field. Everybody else just I anticipated that he was going to go, and he did go actually before the um, um, the restart zone. But people were just expecting him to go a little bit sooner. Yep. Um, Alex Rossi he takes the lap, uh, takes the lead in the lap where all the bad stuff happened. Um, and after the two-hour red flag, he resumes the race in the lead and then just gets to work on crushing the rest of the field. He lapped up all the way to fourth place. He led 180 laps. He dominated this ABC Supply 500 for his fifth career win, his third of the season, one that now puts him 29 points out of first place in the IndyCar Series Drivers' Championship. I mean, I'll admit I missed uh, I missed a lot of the second half of the race because as a uh, as a racing journalist, I was focused on more important pressing matters like uh, WWE SummerSlam. <laughs> What that was? Uh, I wanted I wanted to make sure I was acclimated through all uh, nine hours of the card, including the six hours of the pre-card of the pre-show. Oh God, help us! Um, safe to say that um, the last time that Alexander Rossi won a 500-mile race, of course, when he won the 100th riding at the Indianapolis 500 on his very first attempt, um, this was not the kind of race that you saw today. Um, that was a miracle of fuel saving at India 2016. No, this time it was just a dominant driver with a dominant car that was just hooked up all afternoon. Whew. Yeah, it was... I don't know. It, it, it's something that you would, you know, expect from the the, the points leader, Scott Dixon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, uh, and it was something that we kind of almost expected out of... Uh, out of Will Power, you know, who took his 53rd career pole position, tying him with A.J. Foyt all-time. Will Power has plenty of time to shatter the all-time poles record by the time his career is up. And Will Power really would have been the only driver that had a threat to take down Rossi in the race, but um, but he got stuck in lap traffic for a good portion of the race that made it hard for him to kind of eat away at that very, very large deficit. It was only four and a half seconds at the end, but that's a little bit deceptive given that Rossi had like double digit second leads over the rest of the field at one point. It was it was absolutely intense. The good news, though, uh, well, I. Uh... I think it's interesting to see how far uh, Rossi got ahead, but if you also look at the fact that lap traffic played a bit of a role, that gap shrunk down quite a bit. Um, the other thing is that with the limited practice time that they had, they didn't have a chance to, pro- I guess, properly dial in all the setups in these cars. So they were, uh, it just, it wasn't ideal for a lot of for a lot of that. But I mean, let's face it, unless unless you are. Um, it's 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 just difficult to really get a give a proper opinion because they without having all that practice time you can't you know yeah I re- I remember that one of the uh, the practice session actually got rained out um, surprise surprise you can it seems like you can never go to Pocono in the summer without having it rain at some point
Yeah, I believe uh, Will Power, who finished second at the end of this, was real, again, was really uh, Rossi's only threat. And Scott Ditson, who did well enough to consolidate his championship lead. So again, he's still 29 points in front. He had a very solid day as we got to see, you know, his, his very off-center steering wheel, which, by the way, that's done for comfort. That's nothing wrong with the car. That's just something that's a driver comfort thing on super speedway ovals. Uh, both Will Power and Scott Ditson have told uh, David Malsher of the, uh, the conglomerate that... Uh, that both their cars were feeling imbalanced and didn't perform well in dirty air, and I and I kind of have a feeling that that was part of what part of the reason why you know it was it was it was kind of a struggle for them to catch up at times, um, if they were stuck behind uh, lap traffic, especially lap traffic that was you know, kind of sort of on the pace. Yeah. Oh yes. Um, out of all that, we had some. Uh, we had some big breakthroughs, of course, not just a great day at Andretti Autosport for the winner, but also for Zach Veach in sixth and Marco Andretti in seventh at his home track. Zach Veach is really starting to turn a corner late in 2018, and I'm really glad to see that. He, um, he was really, really confident heading into the weekend. I mean, you look at the fact that he got the quickest time in the practice session they had early on Saturday. Um, he was actually leading qualifying for a large portion of it before he started to fall down the order. Um, I think good things are coming in store for Zach Veach. And I'll also not forget, fourth place here in Indy Lights in 2013, second place in 2014 there. And I think in 2014 he actually won the pole there in Indy Lights. So he's he's got some good he experience. He knows how to get around. Yes. He definitely knows how to get around this track. Uh, we mentioned Sebastian Bourdais almost did not run the race because of the uh, the patch job to the uh, to the turn two catch fence. We did eventually get in the car because that's what Sebastian Bourdais does at uh, breaking a long, long cold drought. Um, this is his first top five finish uh, since the Indianapolis Grand Prix um, in May, which kind of tells you about how his season's kind of faded out since that awesome victory in St. Petersburg, but that also goes to show you that, hey, Sebastian Bourdais is still really good at driving a race car, you guys. Bourdais. And also Joseph Newgarden finished fifth, which is, that's fine. Yeah, that's solid. The thing about Bourdais um, is that with him, he can say whatever he wants outside of the car, like, oh, it's terrible, it's not going to race, but when he puts that visor on, it's it's all full business, you know, full send it, because, um, and he's told this to Craig Hampson, and Craig Hampson, you know, talked about this in an interview, um, Bourdais has told him, this is what I do, when I'm not doing this, I am not me, um, I mean, Bourdais knows the risks. He knows that what can happen. He's experienced it before, um, but yet he does it anyway. And that's why racing drivers really are superhuman, is that even though they know that, hey, the worst can happen, they'll still get in the cockpit and do it anyway. And they absolutely deserve, you know, a lot more respect than what I think they get a lot. They get now, uh, especially from people like ESP, places like ESPN, where on SportsCenter they actually had a replay of the incident, but. According to someone that saw it, um, they didn't mention who won the race um, or that the rest of the race went caution-free, which, I mean, what do you expect? Uh, that sounds like a broadcaster who has uh, relieved itself of all duties from a series. But who is to say? Um, as mentioned, um, Alexander Rossi put a lot of people down laps. 
Uh, Simon Pagano was the only other car that finished within one lap of the lead, and he was in eighth at a very anonymous race in what was still a very, very pretty-looking car. Um, Charlie Kimball, um, all of a sudden, it took a little bit of time, but this Carlin Racing team, as we kind of figured, is starting to turn the corner. Again, they didn't qualify well, but Charlie Kimball got that car up from 19th on the grid to finish in ninth. Ed Carpenter started 15th and finished a solid 10th. Mateus Leist had a very underserved performance. He was running in the top 10 for most of the day. Uh, settled for 11th place, which still was not bad, considering, you know, his teammate Tony Khan was being picked as one of the dark horses to win the race, broke down with a, an electrical failure, <laughs> and uh, and only got to complete 16 laps. That was his first mechanical all year long, actually. Jeez, yeah. Yeah, jeez, poor Tony Kanaan. Even even when it's looking great, he just he can't catch a break. Uh, Ed Jones having another having a quiet race in twelfth. Um, this is kind of not what he needs at the point where his his seat at Chip Ganassi is coming under threat. But we'll probably get to that uh, later on in a second. Matt Shelton didn't have quite the day that Kimball had finishing his finishing thirteenth. Graham Rahal was the uh, the last car running. Um, it started 18th, uh, got involved in that first lap um, shenanigans, and finished down in 14th. Uh, for once, Grammar Hill getting involved in a silly incident and then not coming back to score like a miraculous top five or top ten finish out in spite. It doesn't help that he got a two lap penalty for uh, unapproved work on the yeah. car underneath oh, the red yeah, flag. Oh yeah, you're right. Both him and Spencer Piggott getting those uh, unapproved the Sterling Marlin special. Yes. He can't do that. Somewhere. Oh, what's hey, speaking of, speaking of Sterling Marlin, um, he a, a couple of things about him. One, he just got Twitter recently, and he also uh, actually recently won a late model race. I think it was at Fairgrounds Speedway Nashville. Um, so, hey, good for him. Excellent. Excellent. As mentioned, there were a lot of cars that did not finish, um, most of them involved in the uh, in the uh, the lap one. It's uh, the start rep, the start incident. Um Ryan Hunter Ray, Robert Wickens, James Hitchlip, Takumisato, Pietro Fittipaldi, uh, Tony Kanan broke down, Spencer Piggott eventually retired on lap 17. Only one other car failed to finish apart from that, and that was uh, that was Connor Daly. Yes, Ireland's core temperature is spiking up a bit um, because he hit the wall and that broke a uh, broke a suspension piece and caused him to retire. After what was looking like a kind of solid day for him, it looked like it would take advantage of some of that attrition and just didn't pan out. Average speed 191 miles an hour, fastest lap 216.3 by Bourdais. Um, Alexander Rossi again led 180 of 200 laps. This dude's a machine. I am, I am, I am easily looking forward to this championship battle between him and Scott Ditson as this as this pans out. Again, we have three more races left, and next and the next one is Gateway Motorsports Park in suburban St. Louis. What's crazy about this race coming up is that Andretti Autosport actually has tested at Gateway. Dixon has not, so he's really going to have to uh, um, be on his game. But then again, Dixon did finish second there last year. Rossi was sixth. But then again, who knows? Rossi's put on a clinic at Ovals this year, passed the most cars at Phoenix, passed a lot at Indy. Um, the race here, I mean... I think Rossi might be in the. This might be Rossi's championship to lose, you know, given what he's done the last couple of races. 
Yes, if you look at if we look at the driver standings, it is still Scott Dixon on top at 530 points. But again, 29 points back is Alexander Rossi, who has all the momentum in the world going off of him for uh, for back to back wins. Now it's uh, it's a little bit of a gulf between him and third place Joseph Newgarden, who is 66 points back. But if you'll recall. His victory at Gateway, uh, thanks to a very cheeky and brazen pass up the inside of Simon Paginot, was what determined um, what uh, ultimately was one of the defining moments uh, in his championship challenge. I have to go to 81 points back to find Will Power uh, in fourth place in the standings, and Ryan Hunter Ray, his hopes are starting to fade a little bit. Obviously, the wreck did not help. Uh, he has now fallen to 119 points out of first place, but. You know, regardless, this is still a very good season, which he's having. Uh, Robert Wickens will sit at 391 for the duration of the season. Uh, Simon Pagano is a seventh at 368. Um, he has now strung together his seventh consecutive top five, top ten finish of the season. Graham Rahal falls to eighth in the points. James Hinchcliffe, uh, despite the wreck, is a ninth, and Sebastian Bourdais moves ahead of Marco Andretti back into tenth in the drivers' championships. Again. The next race is uh, at Gateway Motorsports Park. It is a, uh, it is a one. It is a. Wait, this is a one point. Um, one point two five. Yeah, you're right. One point two five mile. It's a, it's a flat oval. There's always good racing here, and uh, if the crowd is anything like last year, um, they're gonna be. In, there's gonna be a lot of people that are in for a really, really good time. Absolutely. You look at the. Um the promotional efforts that Chris Blair has done at Gateway Motorsports Park. He's probably the best auto racing promoter in the country. Um, and I'm actually going to say that knowing full well who Eddie Gossage and Doug Bowles are. Um, I don't think I've seen anybody work harder to promote their event than him with all the radio spots that he's bought, with all the t- uh, I think he's had TV spots as well. Um, the promotional effort that that guy has gone through for this race has been ridiculous uh it can't be overstated enough what he's done um of course my condolences also out to him because i don't know if we talked about this last week but um actually we didn't um on sunday his or this past week his father actually passed away um uh so full marks to him and for getting to work during this tough time for him as well um thoughts and well wishes to the blair family too Absolutely, and King, uh, King uh, on a much lighter note here, I believe uh, we need to restate the best part of our Nets race coming up this weekend. Oh, yes, that uh, uh, lap 101 will be presented by Motorsport 101. Folks, folks, that's just, uh, that's just the Anglo-American dream at work right there, my friends. And remember, you can catch all of our fine content on motorsport101.com. Not just our podcast, both this show and Bike Live, but also wonderfully well-written pieces. Um, most of which you may be listening to or reading in between frantic Formula One 2018 sessions. Or sessions, as the kids call it these days. Uh, one thing I think we ought to bring up, uh, Gateway Motorsports Park had a, a deal where people could actually sponsor individual laps of the race. And... That's how Motorsport 101 got the opportunity to sponsor lap 101 of the race. 
Yes, yeah. and if you're at the race in person, you'll be able to buy a program, and listed in the program, Lap 101 will be Motorsport 101. Please send us your programs. It, uh, send us your pictures of the programs. <laughs> DM us your pictures of the programs, um, so that way, you know, we can, we can tweet about it and stuff. This is really, really neat. Um, it's looking like it's going to be a fun race. Um, yeah, that's... Um, that's uh that's the gateway motorsports park on the night of august 25th it's gonna be a late night for the uk crowd oops sorry i got one minor indycar story left oh yes there there is a championship that has been decided in indycar and surprisingly there's a new champion for the first time in a long time oh really yeah the uh the engine manufacturers championship for the first time since Chevy has returned, Honda has won the manufacturer's championship. Oh yes, and I believe this is all because like each team is only allowed like a certain number of engines in a season before they're disallowed from scoring manufacturer's championship points and just so happened that Penske was that team that went over. Yeah, so all three Penske entries went over the allotment of four engines with Newgarden taking his fifth this weekend. Uh because uh, Pagano and Power are already on their sixth engine. So, mathematically, it's impossible for uh, for Chevrolet to win the, win the Manufacturer Championship, effectively giving it to Honda for the first time since Chevy has returned to the series. Since the first time we actually had a Manufacturer yes. Championship. <laughs> um, because, you know, you, Honda does not get points for winning it by default for like six or seven years. <laughs> Um, right. That wraps up, that wraps up a very, very, at times fun, and at times very difficult, uh, weekend of IndyCar racing, and I think, uh, I think the most important thing out of that whole weekend, um, is that, you know, hopefully, everybody, everybody who was at the race, be they spectators, um, crew members, uh, press, participants, are able to get home safely, and I do hope that Robert Wickens is able to get home soon and continue to be on the mend. After this quick musical interlude, we're going to talk about some Formula One because summer break's over, y'all. We're back. summer break folks <laughs> uh watch people play f1 2018 ah <laughs> oh, goodness um what i did on my summer break well i uh i dug a little bit in my reading list um just uh just catching up on some of the backlog uh helped uh, rearrange the uh, the living room and the uh and the garage space a bit you no, know, did a little bit of landscaping, and uh, oh yeah, Formula One is back. It's a Belgian Grand Prix this weekend, and um, we are picking up this championship. It is uh, it is a much closer championship fight between Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel than it probably has had any right to be at the start of the season. We were all very very sure that yeah, Mercedes are probably going to win twenty one out of twenty one, aren't they? As it turns out, no, not so much the case. But the court is starting to tip a little bit in Lewis Hamilton's favor. Uh, certainly, Germany did not help. 
by the way, Formula One did put out a wonderful YouTube video taking themselves inside the TV production room during the German Grand Prix. <laughs> Such highlights as them uh, cutting to Sebastian Vettel as he is walking away from his damaged Ferrari and they and the and the TV pronouncer is just like, oh, he's Vettel's piss cut to him. <laughs> and uh, them basically just burying poor Sergei Sorokin like, oh, don't you don't need to worry about Sorokin. And then they cut away to Sorokin's car breaking down. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is uh, that is all free content on F1's official YouTube channel. Imagine saying that six years ago. If you just told me that F1 would have an official YouTube channel six years ago, I'd be like, number one, YouTube's still go still going to be around. Number two, F1 decided to actually get a YouTube channel. That's the thing. Like they got they've got like long form podcasts on this shit now. It's great. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're picking up a championship, and we're also picking up the uh, the tail end of the season, which means for a lot of drivers, we're going to see the last races. Of course. We know about the start of the Apreci, the Apreci One Four Tian Tour. If we're if we're following the uh, the Dale Earnhardt Jr. model, and we had the yeah. Apreci Aviation Tour, um, the Apreci Fourteen in Tour, <laughs> the Apreci Fourteen. Oh yes. Um. So. Remember, we, we talked about uh, on last week, of course, Fernando Alonso announcing his, uh, his stepping away from Formula One. The next domino to fall would be his successor. With no options at Red Bull, um, Carlos Sainz is going to McLaren starting in 2019, bringing over the Red Bull junior driver, second generation racing driver. Uh, the 2014 Formula Renault 3.5 Series champion, now in his fourth season of Formula 1, previously raced with Scuderia Toro Rosso and Renault, um, and of course our reigning Motorsport 101 Driver of the Year. That that Driver of the Year award is looking like a curse now. <laughs> you just, you had to say it. <laughs> I was just saying. Okay, for, for all that's worth, though, Sainz is still 11th in the championship. He's been consistently getting the points. Um, I think I think uh, his form this year is also kind of indicative of the fact that, hey, Nico Hulkenberg is not as trash as we might have once been thinking. And also, he's, he's, yeah, he's just not too far removed from a genuinely good season split between Toro Rosso and Renault, where in his third-to-last race, he finished fourth at Singapore. Um, he is... He has at times shown that not only is he as quick as his much more vaunted uh, former teammate, Max Verstappen, he is at times, you know, easily, you know, far more consistent uh, in terms of getting the car home in a position where it can score points. He only has one retirement this season, and that was at Silverstone. Um, yes. And uh, I believe, uh, was that, I, be I want to think that was a mechanical failure. Yeah, no, no, that was a that was the collision with Grosjean. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, so so then that kind of really wasn't that huge of an unforced error, but still, um, Sainz gets the car home, and now he gets to go to a McLaren team where it seems like they are really invested on building around youth. Um, obviously, it makes perfect sense for McLaren to go from one Spaniard with long, flowing, luscious hair to another. Uh, especially one that is much younger and looked up to Fernando Alonso as a kid 
Again, if not for Alonso's influence in making single-seater racing an actual thing in Spain that people can watch instead of bike racing, he probably would have been doing rallying at this point, would Carlos Sainz Jr. But he's uh, he's doing F1 now, and uh, on the 16th, it was announced that he would be racing for McLaren starting in 2019. Oh, it's Carlos Sainz at McLaren. It, it doesn't feel weird. But it, it's it's something I didn't expect to see that, you know, I mean, Daniel Carter going to Renault was something that a lot of people oh, yeah. didn't I see. Think, yeah. I don't think anybody expected that. And that was really the uh, the first domino that set all of this up for uh, for an explosive 2018-19 hot stove league in Formula One. Uh, and I'm pretty sure we'll get to it, but Carlos Sainz going to McLaren also uh, forced someone else's hand. Right, because uh, today, on the 20th of August, we now know who will be taking over Daniel Ricciardo's vacated seat at at uh, Red Bull Racing. And that is the 2016 GP2 Series, now Formula 2 champion, Pierre Gasly, who is 13th in the standings with his best finish coming in fourth place at Bahrain. Now we can fight. <laughs> Um, and honestly, I know, I know, I know, like, there are a lot of, like, reasons why I feel like people be like, Sainz should have been the person to get the drive, because obviously, he matched very well with Verstappen in terms of pace, but they just did not get along as teammates. And I think that's kind of led some people to think, like, you know, oh, Pierre Gasly kind of feels like a second best option. Hold the phone. Gasly's been very good throughout every step of his career. Um, his first year with a, as a Red Bull Junior, he won uh, the Euro Cup Formula Renault title in 2013. Um, of course, he finished runner-up to signs in the 2014 Formula Renault 3.5 series, and then won the 2016 GP2 title in a very, very fun fight with his then teammate Antonio Giovinazzi. Um, got that uh, got that late season call up to F1 after doing some incredible things in Super Formula, including back-to-back wins at Motegi and Sportsland Sugo. And when the car is on, Pierre Gasly has been on with it again. That fourth place in Bahrain shows that if he can if he can qualify it well and the car holds up, uh, this kid is... This kid's fun to watch. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, no, I think a, I think it go, also goes to show, like, man, uh, that Toro Rosso... That Toro Rosso to Red Bull link, it's still proven strong. Now the question is... As we talked about, who's going to be driving for Toro Rosso next year? I have no idea. It feels like no one, like, obviously there's no one available directly in their academy. So it's not like there's a lined up successor. They're going to have to go elsewhere to find someone to fill that seat. Yeah, it's it was looking like um, it was looking like Pierre Brendan Hartley was just a one and done deal. Now they might have no choice what to bring it back, whether they want to or not. Spoilers, the caliber driver is, is you absolutely should. Just looking over Pierre Gasly's record. Yeah, he beat he beat Esteban Ocon to the Euro Cup title in 13. And Ed Jones was also in that fight. I'm just looking over some of his Ed Jones to F1. I mean, you're right there. He had Formula Renault 3.5. He had signs to compete against. He also had Sergei Sorotkin. Uh, he was not doing much this year, but we'll just leave that aside. We'll just leave that aside. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, 
I am I am very excited about this move. I think a lot of people feel like, you know, maybe this isn't the most exciting move, but you know, he's been patient. And that's also one thing that, you know, Red Bull is notorious for not doing is having patience with some of their junior drivers. And there were times when uh when things weren't going good for Pierre and GP2 especially that we were kind of feeling like, "Oh boy, here we go. There's another failed Red Bull prospect." I can remember, you know, in particular when he was still going without a win uh, as late as, like, the Silverstone weekend in 2016. We're just yeah. like, man, is Pierre Gasly ever going to win a race? And now we're just like, well, how can he match up against Max Verstappen? <laughs> to which I reply, again, uh, I believe all but one of his retirements have been uh, mechanically related. If I look over, no, he got caught up in that collision in France. I want to say he did so in Spain. Yep, that was just up. So apart from uh, from two first lap incidents, um, Pierre's been solid, and he's brought the car home on a consistent basis. And if nothing else, uh, the memes that uh, Gasly and Verstappen are going to share within the Red Bull paddock are going to be exceptional. <laughs> and also, by the way, Pierre Gasly... Un, unblemished uh, point scoring record in Formula E. At which track? Oh, is it? Was it New York? Was it New no, York? no. You're damn right no. it was New York. Yeah. Seventh in the first race, fourth in the second. It's like, oh. Uh, yeah, but Gasly will be. Uh, uh, dare I say, I don't want to call him a number two driver, but yeah, he'll, he'll be great in that second seat. And, oh, man. It... I I don't know, because again, they made this move knowing that for Sappen and Sainz kind of didn't get along. And you kind of feel like, you know, with Sainz's latest announcement with Claren, I don't think he mentions Red Bull at all. So I think they are starting to part ways. And, uh, you know, if... If Gasly starts to show up for Stappen, especially if Stappen does not improve in terms of his consistency, well, now, well, now what happens? Mm. And then, of course, there's the there's the issue of what's going to happen at Red Bull's junior team, Toro Rosso. You know, Brendan Hartley again was was at risk of being run off after the Canadian Grand Prix. Now it's looking like he'll get a second season, um, and then. Whatever should they do? Um, do McLaren and Toro Rosso come to agreement where they swap Lando Norris for James Key? Uh, do they take Alexander Albon back? Oh, it's... I assume, like, yeah, it would work out pretty good for McLaren because they still get Stoffel Van Dorn in Formula 1 and they, you know, Lando gets the opportunity to move up. But I think I mentioned this on last week's episode, where you're still going to have the issue of down the line. Eventually, you're going to have three drivers and two seats. Yeah, three and two does not go. And the latest we're hearing is that you know, Force India are close to making a move at some point. Um, it's looking like Lance Stroll has one of those seats on lockdown. And uh, the latest that we're hearing, again, this is not yet confirmed, but Sergio Perez says he is very close to signing at the Stanchion before Cyndia now that he has effectively saved the team from bankruptcy, um, or at least uh, got, getting them out of the road to uh, to financial ruin. Um, it'll be very interesting to be Esteban Ocon, who has said recently he's very confident of getting a Mercedes drive soon, um, but 
I don't know if he'll be on the grid for 2019, and that would be a real shame if he isn't. Mm. Only time will tell. It is a mess of a silly season. Um, how how silly do you think this silly season is on like a scale from one to ten? Uh, solid eight. It is a solid eight. Man, I give it. Give it a. Yeah, you're right. This I've I've given it like a solid uh three and a half stars. You know, just just wasn't in the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> if it wasn't Tokyo Dome, you know, 10. 10 out of 10. 6 stars. 7 stars. Gotta give it 7 stars. <laughs> stars game. Man, his wrestling jokes are only for like a specific audience. Thank you very much for putting up with all this. <laughs> so niche. Uh, I'm sorry. The folks don't know about, about wrestling. You know, the sport where, uh, where legitimate UFC Hall of Famers compete in. <laughs> and win titles in within their first nine months of the company. <laughs> oh, well, at least they're all full-time employees now. Yeah. On to the rest of the miscellaneous news. And speaking of, of uh, full-time employees who are actually full-time employees, despite the fact that people want to assume they're part-time employees. Hey, remember how the FIA World Endurance Championship and the uh, Automobile Club de Loist, um were just clearly hell-bent on rigging every single race so that Fernando Alonso's Toyota could win. I know, right? Yeah. Well, it was looking like um, Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Buemi and Kazuki Nakajima, because everybody seems to forget this is a team endeavor and not an individual sport. Um, they took the lead from their sister car, the Conway Kobayashi Lopez car, late in the WEC Six Hours of Silverstone, and it looked like Toyota had taken their third 1-2 finish of the 2018-19 super, super, super season. And then the news drops a couple hours later that both of them were thrown out of the race due to skid block violations. Ooh. 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 Buddy. I mean... They did the crime. <laughs> yeah. If you, for for hardened fans of sports car racing, um, you may recall that in the 2016 running of this event, the Audi 7, the Lottery Trellier Fassler car, uh, won the race on the road, but then was stripped for skid block deflection tests violations and were thrown out. That gave the win to Porsche. Um, Toyota Gazoo Racing in a statement said that both cars suffered damage to their respective front floor areas during the race due to impacts against the new curbs at Silverstone. Regrettably, this also caused both cars to fail deflection tastes and post-race scrutineering. As a result, the race stewards disqualified both of our cars. Um, it is believed from davidsportscar.com. Saying that, and I'm not just saying that because I write for them. I'm absolutely saying that because I write for them. Uh, they believe the team will now not submit an appeal, and that the win for the number three rebellion R13 will be confirmed. Which means that American Gustavo Menezes is the first American to win an outright WEC race. Oh my god! <laughs> Along with frenchman thomas laurent and swiss matthias bash and no one in, and no one in america got a chance to see it <laughs> whoa whoa I'm, I'm pretty sure like 0.1 percent of americans have subscriptions to motor trend on demand i mean they have subscriptions to motor trend magazine it's it's, it's the same thing it's the same thing right uh yes so 
out of a race where equivalents of technology, uh, the three dirtiest words in endurance racing nowadays, um, where it looked like, oh boy, here we go again. The privateers just can't compete. Uh, the number three rebellion racing. Yeah. Rebellion racing took a one, two finish out of this. And uh, what's crazier to think is that this win could have easily been Jensen Button, Mikhail Lotion of Vitaly Petrov's, if not for the fact <laughs> that the turbo and their S&P racing prototype had popped during the race. Which means, yep, you guessed it, Jensen Button still can't get on the Silverstone podium. God damn it. I thought Jensen among problematic Russian boys would be able to get it done today. Yep, uh, the sister car of uh, Stefan Sarazan and Igor Arujev finished in third place outright. It's wild that the Baikal's uh, uh, car had a chance to win this race outright <laughs> after after disqualifications. How wild would that have been? Oh, very. Also, we know the 2019-20 uh, the calendar. It's going to start at Silverstone and will end at Lama. Um, and Silverstone will now be a four-hour race, and Bahrain will be a 10-hour race, because Why? reasons. It couldn't be the other way around. <laughs> oh, and they're also going to race uh, the week after the Rolex 24 as well, leaving teams no time to prepare uh, to turn around their cars afterwards. Great job, FIA. Oh, oh and also, uh, Fuji conflicts again with Petit Le Mans. Oh, dear. Speaking of IMSA news, Big Mate won. <laughs> Big Mate. Big M8 is a friend and an ally and a revolutionary hero, and it has Mission Impossible Fallout decals on the hood and the doors. As Alexander Sims and Connor DeFilippi took the BMW M8 GTE's first win at Virginia International Raceway, which is barely in Virginia. It's, it's almost North Carolina at this point. Let's be real. <laughs> um, and also Letsis won with the number 14 3GT Letsis RCF of Dominic Bauman and Kyle Marcelli so that was fun I'm just very glad that Big Mate is not just it's not just a meme car it's a winning meme car <laughs> it's a winning meme car that's, that's what we needed oh that's wonderful I'm just I'm, I'm entranced by these uh, Mission Possible decals Inside, I'm thinking Man, yeah, that's that's right. It does scan that Tom Cruise is a Nissan uh, sports car racing legend. <laughs> you use like legend in like the loosest of quotations. Yeah, you're going from Steve McQueen to Paul Newman to Patrick Dempsey to uh, Tom Cruise. Um, shit went down at the uh, at the Bristol Night Race. Oh, um, yeah. Kurt Busch won. Um, his hair was very loud. He looked like an angry. Um, he looked like an angry squawking rooster by the end of the race. And uh, Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. came to blows. And I missed most of it. Hmm. Part of me is like, I'm not surprised it happened because Bristol. But part of me is kind of disappointed. <laughs> You know, it's um, it's it's interesting. The only thing that can stop the big three is apparently themselves. <laughs> I mean, that's really all it comes down to is that you know, you know, just a couple of weeks ago in New Hampshire, we had uh, Kevin Harvick 
moving Kurt Busch up the track, and now Kurt Busch uh, did a no-scope on MTJ. Kyle Busch. Uh, Kyle Busch, yes. Yes, I, ha- I had my Busch brothers mixed up. Because now apparently there's going to be like some big breaking news of like, holy shit, Kyle Busch is going to go owner-driver in NASCAR now. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm mostly just, how much do you think we can uh, realistically spend to uh, to buy shares of what was BK Racing? Uh, how much you got in your pocket? Um, I have, um, let's see, I've got my car keys, I have my wallets, uh, I don't have any actual cash on me, there's my uh, earpods for my iPhone 7. Uh, just just give him the earpods. I'm pretty sure that'll get you the whole team. I don't have any pockets, so I can't give you anything. <laughs> I mean, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's we own the team outright. Congratulations. Uh, we're really excited to see the number 101. Yes, we're gonna we're gonna skip that NASCAR loophole that says we're only allowed double digit racing numbers, and uh, we're gonna give it a, we're gonna give it hell at uh, wherever the next race is. Um, also the Suzuka 10 hours is this weekend. And, you know, I've got to say, despite the race becoming, uh, what is effectively yet another GT3 showcase event sanctioned by a Stefan Rattel organization. Um, I don't know whether I'm just a sucker for marketing, uh, but, um, as this race is actually drawing closer, I'm actually getting pretty excited about this. I would know because I've sunk a lot of time into previews, which you should be able to read on DailySportsCar.com by the time this episode is out. Um, this is also a race where you will need a Motor Trend On Demand subscription if you're watching this in the U.S. because, well, yeah. Because uh, apparently the SRO has a deal with Motor Trend, too, so. <laughs> yeah, but um, hey, if you're watching in Europe, you get the final 90 minutes free on the Euros on Eurosport 2. And the rest of the session on the player. Now, of course, if you're in, if you're in Japan, you get to watch this on free-to-air television. Naturally, of course. Yeah, naturally, uh, that'd be sad if you weren't able to. Ah, uh, goodness. Um, um, I'm having a tough time picking a winner out of this field. I'm just hoping it's a good race, and it's like as as ridiculous as previous runnings of the 1,000 kilometers have been in years past. Maybe uh, maybe I'll let, add a little bit of that eight hours bicycle racing spectacle in it, just for good measure. Mm. Also, uh, I have my also I'm gonna be up till seven a.m. watching this. <laughs> oh goodness, I'm gonna pull an all nighter on the day of the Belgian Grand Prix, and that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> nothing yeah. nothing wrong with that. There's no problem. There is absolutely no problems with this much racing. Oh shit, that's right. That's also starting around the time Gateway wraps up. <laughs> just, just glued to the screen. Yep, we're just uh, we're 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 getting the bedpan out for this weekend, folks. <laughs> um, so out of all of that, we had a busy, busy weekend of motorsport. I think uh, I think most importantly, just retouch on. Some research on all this stuff again. If you missed it at the start of the show, uh, Robert Wickens uh, had multiple injuries sustained in that very, very bad wreck. Uh, the latest update coming in from the IndyCar series um, is that he still continues to be treated at Lehigh Valley Hospital, Cedar Crest. Uh, Wickens was involved in the incident on lap seven when his car made contact with the car of Ryan Hunter Ray and went airborne in the catch fence uh, on turn two of Pocono's three turn oval. 
on MRI's instrumental in revealing the most appropriate surgical cuss, and Wickens is currently undergoing surgery Monday at time of recording for a spinal injury. He also suffered injuries to both of his legs, uh, his right arm, and had a pulmonary contusion. Um, so again, we definitely, definitely hope Robert Wickens has a very, very speedy recovery, and we hope for some very safe and yet very entertaining racing in the races to come, whether that is uh, whether that is the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa, whether that is the Bomberito Automotive Group 500 at Gateway, or whatever it is you may be watching that weekend of fine, fine motorsport. Ah, uh, gosh. Um... Quick show, Chris. You got a uh, you got anything to add before we start to wrap things up? Um, I had uh, it was an interesting weekend at Pocono. Um, Santino Ferrucci was also there. Uh, he's going to be riding the last two races of the year for Dale Coin Racing. I actually had a chance to interview him uh, in the transporter, and I can I can tell you this right now. Um, a lot of the stuff that was said at Silverstone. A lot of people don't know what actually took place, so when I get my article out, um, I think people are gonna might see things in a different light. But that's assuming that they're actually willing to actually take a chance and actually look at what really took place there. Um, also, uh, looking ahead to Gateway, we also have the Mazda Road to Indy there as well. Indy Lights and Pro Mazda will be racing there, um, and Pato Award if he wins the race. He will make it to where only two drivers will be eligible to compete for the championship in the last two races of the year at Portland, that being him and Colton Herta. Promaz is going to have an interesting battle at Gateway as well. And then, of course, the weekend right after Gateway, IndyCar is heading to Portland. And uh, I'll be at Portland as well as Gateway. It's it's going to be a, a bit of a crazy next couple of weeks. Oh, geez. You're not going to drive that whole thing, No, you? I am going to fly to Portland. Oh, thank you. Oh God! Um, please, uh, please, please bring us back some of the uh, the local uh, horticulture. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> not, that, not that we not that we would condone such a thing on such a, on our show, but certainly not. I actually forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. Jesus, that that's uh. That's not going to be the uh, the smell of a uh, Sunoco renewable ethanol in the air of Portland. <laughs> not that I would ever can. Not that I would ever say that you know, you know the Portland crowd is going to be showing up just blazed out of their mind. But it might yeah. help. <laughs> um, King, do you have anything to declare? Do we miss any pressing and pertinent information? Nah, we're we're in that nice lull period before the summer break's about to be over, where everyone got everything they needed to reveal off their chest before heading to Belgium. Yep. Now it's time to just do all this shit all over again for another few months. Everyone's <laughs> <sighs> gonna be fun. Any car's gonna be fun. Everybody's gonna be safe. I'm not gonna burn myself at Suka. It's all gonna be good. One more time places you can find us you can find all of our content at motorsport101.com you can find us on youtube at motorsport101.com youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 we're at facebook.com forward slash motorsport101 we're at twitter at motorsport underscore 101 and if you wish to follow our personal handers, you can at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at C. DeHardy. That's C-D-E-H-A-R-D-E. 
And uh, thank you very, very much for listening. And thank you to everybody who's listening live. Thank you to who's listening on Early Access or wherever you may be listening on whatever fine podcast media you may be listening to. Your support is always appreciated. We're very, very much indebted to it. Um, for Krista Hardy, for Ryan Eric King, and for our friend Andre Harrison, who will be back next week, I'm RJ O'Connell, saying so long. We'll see you on the next episode of Motorsport 101. Later, y'all! Bye! See ya! Like, I'm not you are the world champion! <laughs>